Jesus has loved us. And if you don't know what love does, you never knew what the love of Jesus was. Because when you've been loved by Jesus, it has a way of changing your life to the point that you want to be used of him in the lives of others. And so there is an audience, I hope, above all others, will be blessed by this sermon series we're going to go through beginning next Sunday. And it's the audience that won't even be in the room. It's the people in your life who, Lord willing, will be the recipient of the love of Jesus that you give to them. And so I'm excited about that series. It's going to be a good one, and we're going to get started on that next Sunday. And so you'll want to be in your place, and uh, it will definitely be an encouragement. Our current teaching series, as you know, has been dealing with the various connections that we find in the Christian life, and it all begins with Jesus Christ. And I had a great time in our first study as we went through several verses in the book of Colossians where four times in a matter of, I think, five or six verses, the Apostle Paul talked about the joy of being with Christ, with Christ, with Christ. And that's where it all begins in the Christian life, a relationship with Jesus. We talked about our connection with the church. And we learned that the church is a called out assembly of born again, baptized believers who meet together for the purpose of carrying out the Great Commission. God's will for every Christian is that we would be united in membership and involvement with a local church family. And we saw that from the Word of God. We talked about our connection with God through prayer. We spent some time in the Psalms to discern what it is that prayer does, how is it done, when is it done, and so forth. And then last week, we talked about our connection with God through worship, and we dealt with the specific part of worship. Really, we said everything we deal with is worship in the Christian life, but we dealt specifically with corporate worship. What is the purpose of it all, and how is it to be done? And I had a great time teaching on that last Sunday. I've asked Jeremy, who's in our church family, many of you know Jeremy Stallnecker, to help me tag team teach this morning, and uh, he's going to come up in a moment and, and uh, help us, but we're going to be working together in this service to bring this message to f- deal with this final matter and, and the connections, at least, that we're going to consider in this study, and it's our connections to one another, our connections to one another. And actually, that expression, one another, is a very important expression, If you were to read the New Testament where we learn how to have church and be church and do church, you would find that over 59 times in the New Testament, we're told how we're to behave with one another. We find in the Bible, for example, that we're to forgive one another. We find we're to encourage one another. We're to bear one another's burdens. Some of the one another's are repeated over and over and over. For example, in the very small book of the Bible we call 1 John, five different times we're told by God to love one another. To love one another. And I'm bringing this up because there is no practical way we can obey these Bible commands dealing with one another if we don't have relationships one another. If that makes sense to you, say amen. If we're going to do what God has told us to do with one another, we're evidently going to have to get to know one another and spend time with one another. If we just come to church and sit side by side, we'll never really get to know one another. I love our preaching services. To me, there's a most important hour of the week, and I I really believe it's when we gather and worship on a Sunday morning, but I have a keen awareness. This is not all there is in corporate Christian living. It's not the end. It's it's really a means to lead us to a greater end. I, I, I enjoy our preaching services, but again, there's way more to the Christian life than finding a way to make it to a service on a Sunday morning. 
So we studied the New Testament, we learned that the church grew by leaps and bounds. In fact, as we went through our study on the church, we learned that on the very first Sunday, more than 3,000 people were saved and baptized, and the Bible says they were added to them. And Peter stood up under the power of the Holy Spirit of God, he preached the gospel message in supernatural, miraculous ways. God delivered that truth to hearts, people embraced it by faith, and it was an amazing, amazing beginning. In Acts 2, the Bible tells us of that day this way. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So we know as the church began, it was growing, at the very least, daily. Every day, people were coming to know the Lord and growing in the Lord. And and, uh, that's Acts chapter 2. If we were to turn over a couple chapters to Acts chapter 4, the Bible would say it this way. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. And so, I mean, if you think Pentecost was a big Sunday, and I think we'd all agree, 3,000 people getting saved and baptized is a pretty awesome day, we just got to turn our Bible over a page or two to the right, and we find that 5,000, the Bible says just men, were, were brought to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, that's just men. As I said, conservatively, there would have been another 10,000, including women and children, no doubt about it. God was adding to his church big time, big time. So we've gone from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 4. I'd like to read a verse from Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. Something amazing happens there. We read there, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Now, yes, we do find the first conflict in the history of the local church in that verse, okay? And there's been murmuring ever since. The Bible says they were murmuring, and and they dealt with it in a good way, and that's what you do with with problems. You get them out in the light, and, and you deal with them. But there was something else more significant happening in that verse than the first disagreement within a church, okay? What we find is that the fact that the Bible says that the number of the disciples was multiplied, And I point that out because to that point, we've been adding. Maybe daily, one a day, and every now and then a big burst of people. But you get to Acts chapter 6, they're not adding anymore. They're multiplying. This is an exponential growth. So in other words, those original followers of Jesus were telling people about Jesus. Those who were reached are now telling others, who in turn are telling others. It's just growing rapidly as God's working. History gives us some insight in this. The first church, we believe, if you do the math through the book of Acts, grew about 100,000 people. Now, estimates for what I'm about to say vary greatly. They vary greatly. So I kind of picked a middle-of-the-road number, but if the estimates from the time are, are close to accurate, the city of Jerusalem at this moment in world history would have been comprised of about 200,000 people. Now, I want you to think of the massive impact Christianity made in an incredibly short period of time. From a persecuted minority, they became an empowered majority. And then we know more persecution comes. But I don't want you to miss the fact that this first church was was being used of God in a powerful way. Perhaps half of the residents of Jerusalem in a very short amount of time come to know who Jesus Christ is as their Lord and Savior. In fact, I want you to listen to the testimony of the critics of Christianity. In Acts chapter 5, they got together and they said this, You have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. The whole city had been filled with with people who knew Jesus, sharing the love of Jesus with other people. This was a massive church. And I want us to wonder, how did they keep it all personal? I mean, this wasn't just some hostile corporate takeover. This this was really a a grassroots thing of people who who had come to know Jesus as their Savior, and, and God was doing something wonderful. How did they keep it so 
personal. We know they didn't have the capacity to meet 100,000 people at a time at their peak as they were growing. How is it personal? We know they use various venues or campuses, if you would. We'll see that in a moment. But we know that they kept smaller gatherings of Christians. Smaller gatherings of Christians. And that was an integral part of, of what they did. For example, in Acts chapter 5, the Bible teaches us this. And daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Now, the idea of the temple there, there are a variety of words. This speaks of the courtyard. And what we understand is in those early days, of course, there were no church buildings. I've heard people say, well, they didn't use church buildings in Acts chapter, uh, you know, in the book of Acts. Well, there, were, there was no church before then. I mean, there were no buildings, obviously. And so uh, they would gather in the courtyard of the temple. That would be a space large enough where people could gather and receive instruction from the word of God. But we also find here that on many occasions they met in every house, the Bible says. Without the benefit of a church property, they would fill up homes and, and uh, they would make up groups that today we might call connection groups. Connection groups. They got together. I think that sometimes we get the idea that getting together with other believers to spend time to study the Word of God and so forth is some novel idea, some new idea, some modern invention. Some maybe even have thought that it's really not that important, but the stage I want to set today, and Jeremy will come, I'll set the table, you can serve the meal, how's that? Uh, I, I want our church to understand that getting together with other believers was an integral part of Christianity since the very beginning of the church. I need you. You need me. We need each other. And God organized things in such a way where believers would get together in corporate worship many times in massive numbers, but they never neglected the value, the importance of those personal relationships and of doing life with, with other people. We're beginning a new season of connection groups here at Coastline. And, um, and I want you to know that connection groups are really not something that uh, I want from you. It's something I want for you. I want you to know the joy of knowing some of these people that sit around you on a weekly basis or some of the greatest people you ever know in all of your life. Many times we go through things. We think I'm the only one and you would be shocked to know that there are people in this church and, and that you guys could be a, an incredible source of encouragement one to another because maybe you're sharing something unique, unique stage of life, a unique experience in life. I believe connection groups can help you greatly, and we've sought to have connection groups that would be very, very helpful. When our church started, we were basically a connection group. Our entire church could meet in our living room. In fact, there were services we could probably have all met in our bathroom, okay? We got started. It was a pretty small group all by itself, and then we grew, and we'd find ways to facilitate small groups, and we grew a little more, and we do it a little bit different, and one thing I can assure you that will never change at Coastline is this. We're going to continue to change. <laughs> all the time and change requires growth and so uh, we've had various ways in which our groups have been done and we've tried to be responsive and at times reactive to the various needs that have come because God's blessed our church with growth and and our prayer is that these connection groups would be incredibly helpful for you they would be encouraging for you they would be times of growth and and so of necessity as our church has changed over the years we've had to change to, uh, schedules and things of this nature and I'm sure there will be more of that but they're a wonderful part of the Christian life. And I want you to know that uh, I firmly believe, just as I said, that as believers, 
Uh, it's important to be a part of a church family. For a church family, I want you to know this is where the depth comes in terms of those relationships that we can have within the body of Christ. And I've asked Jeremy if he'd come and and to share with us about connection groups. Most all of you know Jeremy Stallnecker. Uh, he's one of the dearest friends I have in all the world. He was on our church staff for about five years. He went to pastor for about seven years, and he's back in our area, just a member of our church. He's, he's just like you guys, but he's overseeing our small groups, and uh, he's leading an organization that ministers to military families called Mighty Oaks, and he's a great brother in Christ. So Jeremy, why don't you come, and you can uh, take it away, all right? You can finish the message we got started together. All right. 